Welcome to the 34 Circe Salon. We journey from the ancient world to the cosmos. Take the adventure. Take the adventure with us. With us. With us. With us. And welcome everyone to the 34 Circe Salon. This is the Parallax Channel. I'm Sean Marlon Newcomb, and today we are doing Classical Studies 101. This is the Iliad, and it all ends. We are at the last chapter of the Iliad. We are at the last part of this epic tale, and we are going to wrap it up in a way that helps us really understand what this journey has been about. Uh, as always, if you'd be so kind as to give us a lovely rating or a lovely comment on whatever podcast platform you, you are using to listen to this, we'd really appreciate it. And of course, the only way to end this would be with the guidance, the shepherding of the one, the only, Dr. Gary Stickle. Welcome, Gary. Hi. Glad it to be all, with it, you, Sean, and, uh, yeah. and finally we're concluding the uh, Iliad and the fantastic Iliad. It all ends today. It all ends. We're coming down to it. So start us off, Gary. To, uh, talk a little bit about, you were talking about the relevance and the residence of the Iliad in today's world. Maybe you can talk a little bit about that, and then we'll jump into the final chapter. Yeah, the other night I was uh, joining a group on storytelling, and I've been reading a, a a poem I wrote for older children, uh, you know, my condensation of, of the Iliad, <clears throat> if you can imagine, it's 35 pages long instead of, you know, book length, which is what Homer's poem is, 16,000 lines. And the sequence I uh, recited was uh, called Battle Before the City. And I made the uh, connection that that's what's going on in front of Kiev and, and Ukraine right now, the battle before the city with the uh, terrible Russian onslaught. And so Homer's words just resonate, and the people who uh, heard it really thought it resonated today. And, and it does. That, that is what makes this poem so timeless. That's why it has lasted and echoed down through the millennia. I mean, this is, an, this is a very old tale. And yet here we are using modern technology, talking to each other about it, sharing it with people around the world. So Gary, set us up with this last chapter. Where are we as the last chapter of the Iliad begins? Well, this last chapter is the conclusion, of course, of the Iliad, uh, book 24. Um, or chapter 24 in, in our reckoning. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, and uh, I'd just like to read a few words that's in an article in the current Smithsonian Magazine about Troy. And, um, you know, it's, it's a pretty good article in the main. Okay. And the, uh, the author says here about it, it has been nearly 3,000 years since Homer wrote the Iliad. One of the foundational works of Western, civiliz uh, Western literature, uh, I, I would say it is the foundation. It's the earliest uh, published book-length uh, you know, writing in Western European literature. And then he goes on to say, the epic poem describes in gory and lyrical detail 
52 days near the end of the 10-year siege of Troy. And then he goes on here with the stirring descriptions of martial pageantry, his dramatic accounts of close combat, its heroic but flawed characters, its sacrifices, betrayals, grieving lovers and parents, and his powerful descriptions of loss and human suffering, the Iliad-shaped Western literature through the millennia. I think what's significant, too, about what you just said is that, so this story that we've been tracking, story of the Trojan War, is just one part of the tale. There was something called the epic cycle, where there were other stories about the Trojan War with scenes in it that we're familiar with that aren't in the Iliad. So the Iliad is, is if we think of it from a dramatic standpoint, if we look back at the ancient world and realize that just like the modern world, you have different writers taking making different takes on a tale. People can tell the same story and tell it from different vantage points and different point of view. We see that all the time with World War II stories, uh, stories about the civil rights era, stories about, you know, famous events, whether it's the Kennedy assassination or a Super Bowl or a World Series game. So the yeah. Iliad was one take on that. Um, and so and it's the take that has lasted uh, because the writing is so powerful. But also some of the other uh, tales were lost. So we're now at the last chapter. What had happened in chapter 23? Where did we end with that? <clears throat> Well, chap the, the previous chapter was about Achilles and his uh, burial of his, uh, you know, beloved uh, warrior friend and some say lover Patroclus. So it was about the funeral of Patroclus and and the so-called funeral games that uh, Achilles had. You know, chariot races, boxing matches, wrestling matches, javelin throw, spear throws, and stuff like that which uh, I think probably inspired the uh, Olympic Games in ancient Greece. And so the the last chapter um, that we're presenting today, uh, and again, I keep going back to this uh, uh, 1883 translation by Andrew Lang, Walter Leaf, and Ernest Myers. Uh, and they said, um, their little synopsis is how the body of Hector was ransomed and of his funeral. Well, it's more than that, because as I keep saying, I, I use this translation, 1990 translation by Robert Fagels, and he calls the chapters 24, Achilles and Priam. Now, Achilles is the great warrior of the Greeks, the greatest warrior in the world, according to Homer, and Priam is the king of Troy, you know. So it starts out with that, and then it goes into the to me, the most moving part of the Iliad, uh, the way it ends up, not with the glory of war, but with the tragedy of war. So it starts over. It said the games, meaning the funeral games for Patroclus, were over now. The gathered armies scattered, each man to his fast ship. The fighters turned their minds to thoughts of food and, and sweet, warm grip of sleep. But Achilles kept grieving on for his friend. The memories flooded over him, live tears flowing. And now he'd lie on his side, now flat on his back, now face down again. Alas, he leaped to his feet, wonder and anguish, aimless along the surf. Dawn on dawn, flaming over the sea, and so on. 
Then he yoked his racing team to his chariot harness, lashed the corpse of Hector behind his chariot, dragging and hauling him three times around dead Patroclus's tomb, and three being a sacred number, as I keep saying throughout uh, all our podcasts. And Homer, uh, and I discovered this apparently, and I'm surprised no one else noted it, the sacred symbolic number system embedded in the Iliad and Odyssey with uh, number 12 being the primary number, but uh, 9, 7, 3, even 10. 10 years for the Trojan War, 10 years for the uh, Odyssey voyage home. Uh, For the listener, we have a podcast on that, if you go to our earlier podcast, on the sacred symbolic number system and Gary's theories about that in the work of Homer. You can go look on our earlier episodes. And so he's hauling uh, Hector around the uh, tomb, and uh, with Hector's face down in the dust. But Apollo, you know, the, the Greek god, pitied Hector, warded off all corruption from Hector's corpse. And around him, head to foot, a great god wrapped a golden shield of storm so his skin would never rip as Achilles dragged him on. And so he kept on raging, shaming noble Hector. But the gods in bliss looked down and pitied Hector's son. They kept on urging the sharp-eyed giant killer Hermes. Now, Hermes is the messenger of the gods and so on, to go and steal the body and so on. But not Hera. Hera's the, the wife and queen of Zeus, the king of the gods. And Poseidon or the girl with the blazing eyes, Athena. They clung to their deathless hate of sacred Troy. And then it mentions here, just as they had at first when Paris in all his madness launched the war. He offended Athena and Hera, both goddesses. When they came to his shepherd's fold, he favored love, meaning Aphrodite, who dangled before his eyes the lust that loosed the disaster. But now the twelfth dawn, again the sacred number of twelve, since Hector's death, Lord Apollo rose and addressed the immortal powers. So he's urging them to uh, restore Hector you know, to the King Prime and, and the Trojans. And he's berating uh, Achilles, who says that the man has no shred of decency in his heart. Who is it that's berating Achilles? Gary, Gary, who's berating berating Achilles? That 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 was uh, Apollo. Apollo, okay, yeah. And we talked about in in the. Earlier episodes that Apollo and Artemis are on the side of the Trojans. Um, uh, was it Hephaestus too? Who uh, Hephaestus, who was uh, also on their side? Yes. But, uh, but okay, so we we had talked in an earlier episode for the listener about the the gods in conflict, the gods battling each other. So uh, it's a it's a great great chapter. Uh, and go look. So they're having this debate, you know, and uh, on Mount Olympus. And uh, Hera's against uh, returning them, Apollo is, and so on. But it says, Zeus, or marshals the storm clouds, warmed his queen. Now, Hera, don't fly into such a rage. Um, you know, uh, and he says, the immortals love Prince Hector dearly, best of all the immortals born, born in Troy. So I loved him. So in other words, he tells her to relent. And he said that Achilles must receive a ransom from King Priam. Achilles must give Hector's body back. So that's a quote from Zeus, the king of the gods. Mm -hmm. 
so he decreed an Iris, you know, the goddess of wind, who's kind of like uh, Hermes in that she's a messenger in, in the Iliad. Uh, so she races like a gale wind down with Zeus's message and so on. And she goes to um, the sea god Thetis, the mother of uh, Achilles, and she tells him to uh, go, uh, you know, uh, tell her her son to relent and give back the body, you know? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And Thetis, of course, being a goddess. She's a Just goddess to, of the yeah. sea. Right, to point out to the listeners so the listener understands and that. And according to Homer, she's a, queen, she's a queen of the sea nymphs. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's part of Achilles' divinity in the Iliad. And again, we talked about this in earlier discussions about how modern adaptations leave out the divine element. When you leave out the divine element, you lose a, a really profound aspect of the story. So for modern writers, including myself, but for modern writers out there listening, you know, you might think you are somehow making this into a more rational story and a more modern story when you take get rid of the divine, but you are you're really pulling the marrow from the bone. You're losing some of the the real essence of this tale. So anyway, Thetis. Yeah, I, I call her Thetis, but anyhow, um and it, uh, so anyhow, she she goes down, you know, mm-hmm. and um, and then she um, meets up with her son, and she says, "For nine, uh, I mean, this is translation. For nine whole days, the immortals have been feuding over Hector's corpse. Achilles scourges the cities. They keep urging the sharp-eyed giant killer Hermes to go and steal the body, but that is not my way. I will grant Achilles glory, and so on. And so she goes down. I'm winging." Iris down, this is Zeus talking, the mm-hmm. great-hearted Priam, commanding the king to ransom his dear son to go to Achaea's ships, meaning the Greek ships, bearing gifts to Achilles, gifts to melt his rage. And so he decreed, and Thetis did not resist a moment. So she flashes down from the peaks of Mount Olympus to her son's camp, and she finds him. And she says, my child, how long will you eat your heart out here in tears and torment? all wiped from your mind, all thought of food and bed. It's a welcome thing to make love with a woman. You don't have long to live now. Well, I know. Already I see them looming up beside you, death and the strong force of fate. Listen to me, quickly. I bring you a message sent by Zeus. And so what she's saying is, give him back at once, you know, meaning Hector's body. Take ransom for the dead. And so he didn't want to resist his mother, and so it says a swift runner, meaning Achilles replied, so be it. So then Hermes goes to Troy, and then he meets up with uh, King Priam. And and he, he's like, a, he disguised himself as a driver of a, of a cart, you know, and so, anyhow, he tells them to, uh, you know, pack the cart with gifts for Achilles and, and go to the Greek camp. Mm-hmm. And so the thing is, because it's uh, Hermes, uh, well, <clears throat> a Prime goes to his treasure chamber, and he gets out all these treasures and everything for, for Achilles, and he puts them in the cart. And so, <clears throat> anyhow... 
Um, and, uh, and then off he goes, okay, to the so-called big shift. And this is what he brings, 12 robes, again, the sacred number 12, handsome, rich brocades, 12 cloaks, as many blankets, so 12, 12, 12, as many white capes and shirts, and uh, 10 full bars of gold, 10 being a sacred number, two burnished tripods, four fine cauldrons, and a magnificent gold cup. Mm-hmm. And so he takes it all to um, Achilles. And so when he gets to uh, the the Greek camp, of course, there's guards, you know, at the perimeter and all that sort of thing. But Hermes, uh, you know, makes them blind so they can't see them, and they go right past. And so they go to uh, into Achilles. And when they get to uh, Achilles, uh, you know, shelter, <clears throat> uh-huh. um, and uh, and then you know, finally, uh, uh, Hermes, you know, identifies himself. Uh, he says, "Old man," meaning, uh, you know, King Prime. I am a god come down to you. I'm a mortal Hermes. My father sent me here to be your escort. So he tells him to go in, and he says, so you can stir Achilles' heart. And then Hermes leaves him. And then he goes in, the majestic king of Troy, is the way Homer refers to him. And he slips past you know, Achilles' guards, and he kneels down beside Achilles, clasping his knees, he kisses his hands, those terrible man-killing hands that slaughtered King Prime's many sons in battle. And so Achilles marveled, beholding majestic Priam. His men marveled too, trading startled glances. And so Hermes said, I mean, Priam says, remember your own father, a great god like Achilles. His old heart rejoices to see his beloved son come sailing home from Troy. But I, dear God, my life so cursed by fate. I fathered a hero's sons in the wide realm of Troy, but now not a single one left. Fifty sons I had, numbers are all killed. And so, but one, one was left to me to guard my walls, my people, the one you killed the other day, defending his fatherland, my Hector. It's all for him I've come to the ships now to win him back from you. I bring priceless ransom, revere the gods, Achilles, pity me in my own right. Remember your own father. I deserve more pity. And then he says, I have endured what no man on earth has ever done before. I put my lips to the hands of the man who killed my son. That scene we talked about, we did a review of Troy from 2004. We had our problems with it. but We both agreed that the scene where Peter O'Toole plays Priam and uh, Brad Pitt is Achilles, and Peter O'Toole goes into the tent of Achilles and begs for pity from Achilles is one of the most powerful scenes, well, one that I've ever seen, but also maybe the most powerful scene in that film, the way Peter O'Toole played this scene. So for the listener, if you're interested in, in just seeing this scene, go to look at this scene in the 2004 Troy, because it, it is very powerful. And you get that sense of pity 
and that sense of pain of a father who's lost his son and just wants to be able to honor him, his body and soul, again. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's the best scene in the movie to me. I agree. It's a scene I remember most. It's a, it's so one because Peter O'Toole was that amazing classic actor, legend, who brought something and just profound to every scene, every role he played, and to see him in this role, a kind of a crowning achievement for yes, him. Yes, I think so. It's, it's incredible because he died a few years after that, I believe. Yeah, yeah, not long after, I believe. Yeah, and so. Uh, Homer goes on, those words stirred within Achilles, a deep desire to grieve for his own father. Taking the old man's hand, he gently moved him back, and overpowered by memory, both men gave way to grief. Prime wept freely for man-killing Hector, throbbing, crouching before Achilles' feet as Achilles wept himself, now for his father, now for Patroclus once again. He rose from his seat, raised the old man by the hand, and filled with pity now for the gray head and the gray beard, he spoke out winging words. That's a epithet in the Iliad, throughout the Iliad, winged words or winging words. I think it's one of the beautiful uh, wording of, of Homer. Uh, winging words flying straight to the heart. Poor man, how much you've borne, pain to break the spirit. What daring brought you down to the ships all alone? To face the glance of the man who killed your sons. So many fine, brave boys. You have a heart of iron. Come, please sit down on this chair here. Let us put our grace to rest beside our own hearts. And so he's saying, uh, so he goes into this, uh, what I call Achilles soliloquy. And he ends by saying that he will give the body back, you know, to uh, give Hector's body back so uh, Prime can take him home and, and uh, do the proper uh, funeral uh, rites and bury him properly. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so, uh, you know, so the ch- and the chapter goes on with a lot of other stuff, but then, um, you know, uh, Prime puts the body on the cart and takes it back to Troy. And uh, but before he does, Achilles asks him uh, one more point. Tell me. Be precise about it. How many days do you need to bury Prince Hector? I will hold back myself and keep the Argive and the Greek armies back that long. And the old and noble prime answered slowly, if you truly want me to give Prince Hector burial, full royal honors, you'd show me great kindness. Well, nine days we should mourn him in our halls. On the 10th, we bury Hector, hold the public feast. On the 11th, build the barrel high above his body, meaning the mound. And on the 12th, we fight again if fight we must. Another, again, the number 12, okay? Right, right. The number that, as you say, is significant and central. And then it goes on to uh, celebrate the, the four women of Troy, which is just beautifully done in Homer's Iliad. And so here he, uh, Homer goes on. Uh, on they, they went, meaning King Prime and the cart, and they go past the, the river Xanthus, and Hermes went his way to the steep heights of Olympus, and as dawn flung her golden robe across the earth. And the two men weeping, groaning, drove the team toward Troy. 
the mules brought on the body. No one saw them first. No one saw them at first, neither man nor woman, none before Cassandra, the gold, golden as the goddess Aphrodite. And so she's, when she sees the cart with Hector on it, she screamed. This is what Homer says. She screamed, and her scream rang throughout all Troy. And she yells out, Come look down, you men of Troy, you Trojan women. Behold Hector now. If ever you once rejoiced to see him striding home, home alive from battle, he was the greatest joy of Troy and all our people. And then Homer says, Her cries plunged Troy into uncontrollable grief, and not a man or woman was left inside the walls. They screamed out at the gates to meet Priam, bringing the body of dead Hector. His loving wife and noble mother were first to fling themselves on the wagon rolling on, while the wailing throng of people milled around them. Just very beautiful stuff. It's incredible. It's an incredible sequence. And Cassandra, just to remind everyone, Cassandra's role had been the, the prophetess that no one would listen to, correct? Yes. Yeah, so it's a, it's a very powerful then to have her be the one to cry out at that moment, the one that warned. To announce his arrival at Troy. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And then the next woman is Andromache, the wife of Troy. And then Homer says, And white-armed Andromache led their songs of sorrow, cradling the head of Hector, gently in her arms. And she says, quote, Oh, my husband, cut off from life so young, you leave me a widow, lost in the royal halls. And the boy, our boy, only a baby, the son we bore together, you and I so doomed. I cannot think you will ever come to manhood. Long before that, the city will be sacked, plundering top to bottom. Because you're dead, her great guardian, you will always, you who always defended Troy and kept her loyal wives and helpless children safe, all who will soon be carried off in hollow ships, and I with them. And she says, the whole city of Troy mourns you now, my Hector. So, and, and again, he yeah, says, her voice rang out in tears, the women wailed in answer, and so on. It's even 3,000 years across time, just picturing it and hearing what she's saying and understanding the loss of a woman who loses her husband, uh, his death, she's got a child, their city's about to be sacked, but just to be destroyed. And we can still sense it to the to our modern ears. It's it's no different. It's this no is different. what's going on in Ukraine right now. Yeah, exactly. No, and and and, and also in all war torn places throughout the globe. You know, wherever wherever there is wherever that, there's war, wherever there's yeah, wherever kind there's of strife. That, yeah, that stain of, of man's violence, the, the you know, human Yemen or the human suffering uh, and the human yeah, grief and so on. Exactly, and then the. The next woman, her voice rang out in tears. The women wailed in answer, and Hecuba, the mother, you know, of, of uh, Hector. Hecuba led them now in a throbbing chant of sorrow, and she says, Hector, dearest to me by far of all my sons, and dear to the gods, while we shared this life, and they cared about you still. I see even after death, many of the sons I had, whom the swift runner Achilles caught and shipped to the barren salt sea as slaves, and so on. But you once... He sliced away your life with his brazen spear. He dragged you time and again around the, uh, his comrade's tomb, Patroclus, whom you killed. But I have you with me now. Fresh as the morning dew, you lie in the royal halls, like one whom Apollo, lord of the silver bow, has approached and shot to death with gentle shaft. 
and then the last woman to grieve. Well, and let's not miss that the moment of the mother losing a child, and just again, uh, yes. it's timeless. We all understand that. We all understand that pathos. I mean, it's it, as people. I've always heard people say, "There's nothing worse than losing your child and your child dying before you." So, there's a good example. There's something that we see, and it's no different then than it is now. And then the fourth and last woman, her voice rang out in tears, and an endless wail rose up, and Helen in turn, led their songs of sorrow. And she says, Hector, dearest to me of all my husband's brothers, my husband Paris, magnificent as a god, he was the one who brought me here to Troy. Oh, how I wish I had died before that day. But this now is the 20th year before me, since I sailed here and forsook my own native land, meaning Sparta. Yet never once did I hear from you a taunt and insult. But if someone else in the royal halls would curse me, one of your brothers or sisters or brothers' wives, trailing their long robes, even your own mother, not your father, always kind as my own father, why, you'd restrain them with your words, Hector. You'd win them to my side, you with your gentle temper, all your gentle words. And so in the same breath, I mourn for you and me, my doom-struck herald heart. Now there is no one left. And it says, the wide realm of Troy, no friend to treat me kindly. All the countrymen cringe for me in loathing, and so on. Mm. Her voice rang out in tears, and vast throngs wailed as old King Priam rose and gave his people orders. Now you men of Troy, haul timber into the city, and so on. So he's, he's telling, uh, no one will harm us until the twelfth dawn arrives. And then it and then the, you know, the chapter ends, and, and, and Homer says, and so the Trojans buried Hector, breaker of horses. Just astonishing. Just an astonishing masterwork. Just an incredible work of art. Just an incredible story. And um, let's do this, Gary. Let's just end this here. Okay. It's not Ed, and it's not Gild the Lily. We'll come back, and we'll do a recap of the Iliad, and we'll talk about it. So... For those listening, thank you to Dr. Gary Stickle for taking us along this journey. Thank you, Gary. Thank you. It's, uh, it's been wonderful to recount the Iliad with you, Sean. You've done a great job. Thank you. And thank you to all of you listening. Uh, this is the 34 Circe Salon, the Parallax. This is Sean Marlon Newcomb with Dr. Gary Stickle. We will be back with more classical tales soon. Take care. <laughs>